afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? What's up? Welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Lojack, and with me as always is Luke Smith. Today we're joined by Ashton Pollard, former writer for us at Sons of Saturday, who now works as a national college football writer for On3 Sports. And we're going to dive deep into yet another weird game for the Fighting Irish. Honestly, from a macro point of view, this game is pretty similar to almost every other game the Irish have played this season. They entered the game with a lot of questions, fought and clawed their way to a seemingly improbable win in a way, and then left the stadium with more questions than when they arrived. Um, on a micro level, though, this was one of the weirdest games in Brian Kelly's tenure, and honestly, one of the weirdest games I can remember as a fan. Notre Dame escaped Blacksburg with a 32-29 victory over Virginia Tech. Thanks to some late-game heroics from Jack Cohn, who started the game, to the surprise of many, got benched after three series for freshman Tyler Buckner, then came back into the game down eight with under four minutes to go, drove the Irish downfield twice, first to tie the game, and then to give John Doerr a chance to win it with his leg. And in typical door fashion, he delivered when the team needed him most and nailed the game-winning field goal from 48 yards out um, with a laser pointed at him. So, whatever. Um, this was an absolute roller coaster of emotion. So, Ashton, I'll just kick it to you, and you can start this really wherever you want. <laughs> all right, sounds good. First of all, thank you for having me on. Um, so, I think I kind of speak for the entire Notre Dame fan base when I say that I – kind of hate this team, but I also kind of love this team for several reasons. Um, I think, and you kind of alluded to this, like the ability to claw back. I think we saw, we basically started defensive questions first two games in particular. Um, Then it was mainly offensive questions. The defense has been pretty good in, um, in the last three games in between Toledo and Virginia Tech. And then now we have, defense not I mean defensive questions is probably an exaggeration but as I'll get to later the defense had some major problems on Saturday night so I think that I'm I was incredibly frustrated with the game in the moment but kind of trying to take a step back and find something positive I think that we've shown flashes on defense we've shown some flashes on offense I'm not going to act like this offense is good but they were not as (laughs) awful as they were and that's largely baby steps yeah quarterback which I know we're going to get into but yeah so I think just the if we can put this together this team is certainly still not winning a national title but I think that they can go 11 and 1 10 and 2 and hopefully they get less frustrating and less um, about to kill me and the entire Notre Dame fan base every time they take the field all right yeah I think that's a pretty fair assessment um to be honest start with this part of me just wants to laugh for a minute because I still don't really know how they won that game. Um, like, I, I don't know, but it's just, there's a lot we can talk about and we will talk about. 
I don't like Virginia Tech. I know you don't either, Ashton. I have family members that went to Virginia, <laughs> so I, I, it was really unfortunate to see that happen to them in, in that fashion, but oh well. Um, you know, it's just like, I think the thing for me that's biggest is Jack Cohn has been much maligned, and I mean, for good reason. After the first couple drives, I really did not want to see him take another snap, again, for Notre Dame. Then somehow... After all that, he has two like iconic moments from this season already with the dislocated finger touchdown drive to Mayer against Toledo. And now this scoring 11 points down eight with less than four minutes left in regulation to beat Virginia Tech on the road. It doesn't make any sense, but nothing else about this season does. So in a way, it makes sense that way. But like this kid that nobody wants to see play quarterback for Notre Dame already has two just like iconic moments for this team this year. And 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 I quite frankly do not know how, but uh, I'm glad that he got another one Saturday night. Yeah, I feel like I don't necessarily want to make comparisons with this team to other teams because it is so unique, but it feels like almost a hybrid between the 2012 season when Notre Dame went undefeated, kind of going with two quarterbacks and Everett Golson and Tommy Reese, and a little bit like the 2002 team as well. That team, also not very good had negative offense, but the defense basically served as the offense in a lot of ways. They had Vontez stuff, Shane Walton, and um, that was basically how they managed to move the ball. I think Pat Dillingham, no, yeah, it was definitely Pat Dillingham Mm -hmm. beat Michigan State like no one had ever heard of him. So it's just a very weird year in that way. But before we get to the actual game, I want to go back to Ashton because, Luke, you mentioned you have some family ties uh, with Virginia and this Virginia Tech rivalry. Ashton, this game was a little bit personal to you as well, right? Yes, so I am from Virginia. I grew up in Richmond. I My mom went to UVA undergrad. My dad, um, he went to Notre Dame, which is why I'm sitting here, but he also went to UVA grad school. My family is heavily in the Virginia Tech world. Um, my mom's brother used to work for them. My cousins are, I guess, fourth generation Virginia Tech because great grandfather, grandfather, uncle, cousins. My brother's actually a sophomore there. Um, so I have a lot, and then my dad has two brothers that went there too. So I have a lot of connections to Virginia tech. I think that I'm going to try to be rather professional here, but I think (laughs) that growing, growing up surrounded by fan, a fan base where, um, they're very passionate. And I, I think that people from Chicago kind of feel the same way. If they're Notre Dame fans, you either love them or you hate them. I think that that's similar to how the Virginia UVA, um, the UVA Virginia Tech dynamic is in the state of Virginia. So I, um, I'll, I'll never complain about coming out of a win in Blacksburg on the whole. We'll put it that way. <laughs> Luke, you didn't really necessarily make any friends in the Virginia Tech media fan base <laughs> or the media um, outlet after the game. Yeah, I don't think so, but I think it was all <laughs> fair. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe just like don't make comments for six months and then show game away. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. All right. As for the actual game, though, we've talked a little bit about Jack Cohn. Um, Ashton, what did you think about him and his performance on Saturday? So, and y'all touched on this. Like, I have, I, I'm hesitant to say anything bad about him. I, I'll start. I guess at the at the beginning of the game, it was very much the "here we go again" situation. Um, started off just absolutely terribly. Notre Dame's first three drives, it was 13 plays for 17 yards. They had two sacks. Um, I'm usually of the mindset where I try not to act like I know more than the coaching staff for several reasons, but like it, it was hard, I think, to watch those first three drives and think like, what is the coaching staff seeing that we aren't where they think this is a good idea? Um, that being said, he's obviously the hero 
of the game. And I won't repeat what Luke said, but um, I think that just shows a lot about him. And I will make an argument. I think that Buckner should start from now on or not. I mean, now on, I, I think Buckner should start against USC because the offense with Buckner looks way smoother. Um, I'm not saying anything new when I say that the skill set that he brings introduces an added element that defenses have to account for that Jack Cohn does not have in the sense that he is he is very mobile. Um, you When you add Buckner in, next three drives, 19 plays, 161 yards, two touchdowns. That middle drive was a three and out where he threw two incompletions that were kind of stupid and freshman mistake esque and I think um the the pick the pick six that he threw was not totally on him either but a little bit of a miscommunication um so there I get the concern about like throwing this freshman into the fire because he is still making freshman mistakes but I kind of also feel like yeah the the two minute miracles from Jack Cohn are fun but that's not a sustainable offense to run and if not now kind of like when are you gonna put Buckner in because they obviously have the buy they're playing USC, UNC, and Navy all next, all at home. Those defenses are significantly worse than a lot of what Notre Dame's already seen. They're allowing 28.8 points per game, those three. The first six defenses Notre Dame allowed, they're 19 points per game. And FSU is averaging, is giving up over 30. So that's distorted by how bad FSU is. Um, so yeah, I just, I kind of think like, just this team's not winning a national title. So like, just, let's just do it. Let's pull, let's rip the bandaid off, try Buckner. It can't, it, it can't really get any worse, I guess. And I, I realize I'm saying that with a five and one football team, but at the same time, I don't know. I just, I, I think we should stick with Buckner from here on out until we are shown otherwise that Cone is a better idea. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I think that one of my big takeaways also from Saturday night is, I mean, Buckner did get hurt at that game, and it wasn't addressed post-game. Nobody asked Brian Kelly about it, which I thought was kind of weird. I, I guess in fairness to everybody who was in that press conference, there was so much other weird stuff from that game to ask about that maybe people just forgot. But uh, I don't know. I thought that it was just kind of strange that that wasn't addressed, and we'll, and we'll see what his status is going into USC. But I do agree. I think it's probably time to go in that direction. Granted that he is healthy, but one of the other things I really liked out of that game, just in general, was how many young guys played in total. I think there were seven freshmen who saw significant playing time on offense, and Buckner, Logan Diggs, Joe Alt, Colsey, Mitchell Evans, Lorenzo Styles, and Kane Barong. Which just, I mean. Anybody that says Brian Kelly doesn't play young talent, I don't think they can use that argument anymore. I, we had seven guys out there, and and it's interesting because this is something where if this team, for all the flaws that they do have, you know, they go five and one down the stretch again, or six and zero, oh, and then you have these pieces going to next year. I think you feel pretty good about next year going into Columbus. So it's interesting. I think there's a lot to still be accomplished here, but um, I, I think that also it helps build for next season. The other point I want to make is that there was like a sign of connective tissue to past seasons still in finding a way to win that game against a team they're better than, even though they may have had no business winning the game the way that they almost imploded in the fourth quarter. So that, that was also good to see. Um, and then I, I guess finally, I just also loved uh, Virginia Tech getting really salty after the game, trying to start a brawl, uh, going in the tunnel, and Kyron and Kyle Hamilton were just talking shit to all their players, not caring at all. That's what you want their best your best players to do, and they didn't back down at all, which was great to see. 
Yeah, the whole team didn't back down. And uh, Hamilton mentioned on his podcast about how he not necessarily came to the rescue of Tyler Buckner, but sort of was there to pat him on the back and just kind of get him back on track after he threw that pick. And with so many ups and downs in the game as a whole, the ups and downs of Buckner, that's a whole nother story in itself. Because honestly, going into halftime after that second quarter he had, you're thinking, wow, is it really the time? Like, are we seeing this now where Tyler Buckner sort of takes the reins and becomes QB1 for the next, you know, two and a half years, maybe three and a half years potentially, and and see the guy that we've heard so much about when he was a recruit. And then the second half happened and you were reminded like, oh yeah, he is a true freshman. And not only that, he's a true freshman that really hasn't played a ton of live game football over the past, what, two to three years? Right, because he didn't play yeah. at all in 2020. Or so. just ever yep. in his life, basically. <laughs> yeah, because I think as Mike <laughs> Singer put it kindly, he was playing against Georgia eighth graders um, in the San Diego High School League. So, look, it, it was a lot of ups and downs. I don't know if I'm ready to completely give him the reins just because um, I think we might have seen something with the offensive line. And if the offensive line is able to keep that up, then all of a sudden it's clear why Cone was the guy. I mean, all season long – the biggest hindrance to this team's success has been the play of that group. We've talked about it at length. We've heard and read about it from pretty much every other Notre Dame media outlet. And that group is also, like, they've dealt with some bad injury luck. It started in the first game with Blake Fisher going out. And, I mean, they started their fourth string true freshman at left tackle on Saturday. Not even their first true freshman that they wanted. And yet, despite all that, somehow this group came together and put on a really solid performance against a good Virginia Tech defense. They finished with 180 yards rushing most of the season. They only gave up two sacks, which honestly at that point is like a huge win. And most importantly, though, they gave Jack Cohn a ton of time on the last two drives so he could sort of get in rhythm with the receivers and move the ball downfield, which he did. Look, we've been very critical of this group all year, all of which I think is justified. But we have to recognize that this group stepped up in a big way. And if they're able to continue that, all of a sudden, I think we need to change the way we look at Jack Cohn um, under center. Yeah, I, I agree. I, we've given them too much shit not to give them credit here. So right. uh, congrats to the offensive line for stepping up. I also think that there's no coincidence there that once Buckner came into the game and the running game opened up, we didn't have any pressures. I mean, there's certainly just like an element of, of confidence to the offensive line when you have a more mobile quarterback back there. And then thankfully, when Jack Cohn came back in the game, uh, I mean, they held for him. So I, I don't know. I think there's no coincidence that that happened after Buckner was inserted into the game and, and you saw the way the running game opened up as well. I mean, that was, I think, the first time all season we've outgained our opponent on the ground. So that was significant as well. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Just like – kind of weird because when I went to, I didn't end up making it to Blacksburg this weekend, but when I went in 2018, I thought the atmosphere was very overhyped. And frankly, it's not a very difficult place to play. I mean, they're like 14 and nine there since 2018. So I don't know what you really think about, but from all accounts, from people that were there, it sounded like Saturday night was a pretty raucous environment. Um, The one guy that kept tweeting about me about their fans said something like, you know, if our players were as good as our fans, well, good thing that has no bearing on outcome, but Anyways, um, I, I, I think that it's impressive how many young guys stepped up in probably really the first time playing in an atmosphere like that. And Notre Dame was able to win the game. And that starts with Buckner and those freshmen that you mentioned on the line, like Joe Alt. There's also this one thing that I, they said it during the broadcast and it kind of caught me off guard. Kyron Williams said he's 
never really played in front of college crowds before. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, he's, he's right. Yeah. No, I also, the moment that was said, I was like, excuse me. And then I thought, and I was like, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> he has it. And then Cam Hart said, um, on inside the garage, he said, that's the most hostile environment I've ever played in. And then you're like, wait, that's true. Like these guys really aren't even used to playing in front of big crowds, at least the guys who've been on the team. Um, but Kyron obviously was redshirted for pretty much, yeah, the entire 2019 season after coming in against Louisville in the season opener. But I thought that was interesting, and you're right. They uh, they stepped up in a big way, and I think they came together. And that's what I was saying sort of in the preview. Like, it's it's kind of a good thing they got away from home and were sort of isolated in this hostile environment. They had they had to come together late in the game, and they did that. And I, I as a fan, this bye week could not come at a better time. Like, these mm-hmm. Saturdays are killing me. And I think... Our friend Jeff Melsheimer said it feels personal with this team. Like they want <laughs> to make it the most excruciating experience every Saturday for a fan. So I'm, I can only imagine how uh, the players are feeling now that they can finally get a break once these midterms are over. My mom on that topic texted me this morning and basically was like, Ashton, do you think that the fan base is more relieved about the bye week than the team? And I was like, 100% yes. <laughs> Um, and I definitely feel that way. And I've been working the last few weeks during the games and like before and after I'm always so much more productive than during. And it's not because I'm not writing. It's just because like this, to your point about this being personal, the team is just like constantly trying to distract me and get me all worked up. And so is everyone firing off texts in my direction too. But yes, I'm amped about this bye week. It's, it's going to be great. (laughs) I can't wait. And one more thing I'll add to that is this past Saturday was just an absolutely unreal weekend in college football. So like next Saturday, being able to just enjoy it and not have to deal with the existential dread that comes with watching these Notre Dame football games. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, the Red River, the Red River showdown, excuse me. Um, Yeah, you can't say that anymore. Yeah, that was one of the best college football games I think I've ever seen. So entertaining. I'm so glad I didn't have a dog in the fight because the momentum swings and that might have just that might have actually killed me. Um, And then. Ole Miss, Arkansas, that was an awesome game. And then somehow Alabama lost on the road to an unranked team. And now I think Notre Dame has the longest streak, right, with wins. They do. They do. Look at that. And Notre Dame has the same record as Alabama, so something to consider. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, that was uh, the stuff we did like. Ashton, what what, uh, concerned you the most or what sort of stood out to you on the negative side on Saturday? Um, The third down defense was incredibly alarming. Uh, Going back to the second half of the Purdue game through um, Wisconsin and Cincinnati, sorry, this whole season blurs together. They were, they were giving up a first down on third down 12.9% of the time. They were opposing teams for four for 31 on third down on Saturday night, Virginia tech was eight for 17. Um, And kind of, as I said earlier, that was like the one thing that I, I mean, not one, there's a couple, but that was one of the big things that I was like, all right, the defense is not get, is not, um, not allowing third down conversions late in the game. It was very Clarkly esque in the sense that it had been very Clarkly esque in the sense that you have a lead at the half, you're going to hold on to that lead. Um, this second half of this game on Saturday night gave me glimpses of the Florida state Toledo fourth quarters that I did not enjoy. Um, especially it's so frustrating against these teams with clear, clearly with inferior talent. Like it's one thing if Alabama's doing this to you or even Georgia or like an Iowa defense or like some, some defense that 
is well, and not that Virginia Tech's a bad defense, but they're certainly not on the level of these other teams with these quote vaunted defenses. So I think it was just like watching Virginia Tech of getting around the perimeter. Their blocking was fantastic. Credit to them on that. But like also Notre Dame, like you're so much more talented than, than them. Like how are they constantly opening up these holes on the perimeter? So that was really frustrating because every time I felt like, all right, they're going to get the, um, they're going to get the offense back on the field. Something stupid happened on third down and tech is kind of storming um, away late, but I will, I'll give a shout out to Isaiah Foskey who continues to be awesome and wreak havoc in the backfield. He is second in the country in sack yardage, added another sack on Saturday. So he was a bright spot on a defensive line and in a front seven that otherwise frustrated the hell out of me. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's a bunch of things I didn't like from that game. Uh, just like every other game this year, Namely, and Ashton kind of talked about it there, the fact that the game was close at all. Uh, Bill Connell, I mean, we spotted them 10 to start the game, but we really did kind of just outplay them. And frankly, I never thought we were going to lose that game until Buckner threw the pick six. And then I was confident we were going to lose the game. But Bill Connolly had our postgame win expectancy at 97%, which should probably give you a bit of a clue on just how Notre Dame outplayed Virginia Tech in that game. I actually did think Virginia Tech did some good things on offense, but the the third down conversions were certainly frustrating after we thought we had kind of turned a corner on defense, but whatever, back to the drawing board. Um, You know, (laughs) we completely outplayed them and then almost gifted them the game starting with that pick six, but thankfully they returned the favor. So appreciate that. Uh, And I just Mm -hmm. want one easy game this season. I don't know if we're going to get it. USC looks pretty horrible, but I'm sure – They'll find a way to get up for that one. I mean, they have the second longest road winning streak of anybody in the country somehow, which doesn't make any sense. They they lose really? Like, yeah, they're tied with us at eight, and they they must just lose like six games a year at home every year. Um, they haven't. They're alternating wins and losses this year, so that makes sense. They're winning on the road and getting blown out at home. So that yeah, yeah that kind of checks out. Yeah. So go figure. Uh, and then I think my biggest thing is just Notre Dame fans being idiots. Uh, like, like I said, like Jack Cohn has had a lot of, you know, criticism this year and some of it is justified, but he did get one of the game balls on Saturday and, and deservedly. So, I mean, he scored 11 points when we were down eight with less than four minutes, less than regulation. So Brian Kelly tweets out the game ball and you just have idiot fans bitching about Cone in the replies. Like just shut the fuck up. Let the kid have his <laughs> moment. He just stole a game for Notre Dame that they had no business winning. Like I get questioning if he has a role for Notre Dame going forward, but to take the Twitter to rip him after he won the game is just unacceptable. And if you can't recognize that you're an ungrateful fucking idiot. So I, I just, I can't stand Notre Dame fans who think that they know more than coaches do. Like just shut the fuck up and let the kid have his moment. <laughs> so that was my rant. That was a good rant. I agree. Um, I will say that for me, I thought Brian Kelly's press conference all week, including the lead up and then even after the game, sort of added fuel to the fire with fans. And he was just being like extremely cryptic. And look, obviously I'm a huge Brian Kelly guy that's been established over and over again on this podcast, but he's been acting really strange with the media all season. Um, On the topic of injuries, pretty much everything that comes out of his mouth at this point is a lie. Um, (laughs) Like, and I get it. It's not the NFL. He doesn't necessarily have to fill out like an injury report, but uh, it just seems weird now at, at this point, like the mayor situation, at least that seemed the way he described it was basically like Michael Mayer wanted to play, went through warmups, and they might use him in like red zone or obvious passing packages, but then they decided to not let him play 
uh, because there was really no risk in having him aggravated even more. But the way he came out on Monday and put himself in a corner by saying the team needed to pick one guy and go with him and not do the flavor of the week quote that people have mentioned over and over. And given what Drew Pine showed in the Cincinnati game, all of us assumed that meant Pine was going to be the starter. But then as the week went on and the things he said that went into the decision, um, you know, one being going into a hostile road environment, having experience doing that, it became kind of clear early on that Jack Cohn was going to be the guy. Then he comes out, the offense is completely just abysmal on the first three drives, and you're thinking, like, why is Kelly being so stubborn? Then, give credit to him, at the end of the game, now we see all of a sudden why the coaching staff is so confident in Cone. But it's just, I don't know, I think the whole thing was weird. And then in the post game, he was basically like, he had just gone through 15 rounds with uh, Tyson Fury because he was just so dejected. And then he was basically, like, voicing what his justifications in his own head out loud. And then he has the quote about how like the media should be writing nothing but positive things about Jack. I'm cool with that. Like the the people should not be so negative, but I just think he's just been especially cryptic and, and kind of strange. But as for the field, this was a rough game for the quarterbacks. Cam Hart came back to earth a little bit, had a crucial missed tackle on a third and seven that led to a Virginia tech touchdown. Tariq Bracey saw more time and Virginia tech took advantage of that. They were just kind of picking on him for most of the part, but give credit to Bracey. Did have a key interception, so shout out to him for that. Hopefully that helps him build some confidence for the rest of the season so he can improve. But it was it was tough sledding for him early on, and Notre Dame got really lucky. Trey Turner dropped that ball late uh, when he was streaking down the sidelines, or else we might be talking about this game in a much different way. So, look, hopefully after the bye, they sort of get things sorted out, but they kind of have to do it quickly because they have two pass-heavy offenses coming up on the schedule in USC and North Carolina. Yeah, certainly not the secondary's best day. Uh I mean, I guess it was bound to happen, but yeah, the whole Cam Hart missed tackle thing felt like I was watching a Notre Dame game from 2009 where he would just arm tackle or try to body people and never wrap up. So I, I don't know. This is actually something that you said, Ashton, after the game too, and it made me think. Clark Lee did such a good job with halftime adjustments, and we haven't really seen that in-game from Marcus Freeman yet, and I think that it's something that – really missing and uh we we struggled to adjust on on Saturday night to in game as well I mean like I said I thought Virginia Tech actually did some good things and it wasn't like a Florida State where we were just getting gashed but yeah I would like to see some more uh in-game improvements slash adjustments from the from the defensive coaching staff yeah and I also I'm very tired of this finally get some offensive momentum like Notre Dame uh, scores 14 unanswered points and then you let them kick this stupid field goal before mm-hmm. the half on like I don't have the time in front of me but it's like a minute they have like a minute left in the half and you just let them eat up 40 yards and they kick a field goal which it ultimately did not fully matter but like it's just like that sort of thing that's really infuriating where it's like every time you're like okay I'm having fun watching Notre Dame football they're like hold on wait a minute. No. And you're like, okay. And we're back. So I just, and, and yeah, like you said that I mentioned after the game that Clark Lee was, was great. There was, there were very few second half leads blown. And now it's just, I'm never fully having fun because I am always waiting for the impending doom that inevitably is going to happen 45 seconds after we have a nice time. I mean, Burmeister scored a touchdown on what third and 15 and he couldn't move his arm. (laughs) Yeah. How do you let that happen? How do you lose contain? And poor Foskey's chasing him all over the field. 
yet we can't get contained on the other side. Like, after that play, I just put my face in my hands, and I was just like, you got to yep. be kidding me. Like, this is how we're going to lose? Burmeister can't even move? Why the hell didn't they go for two there? That was one of the dumbest coaching decisions I think I've ever seen. They were up seven and decided to kick the extra point instead. Like, why would you not go for two there? That didn't make any sense. I mean, Fuente had a host of bad coaching decisions, and that's been his whole tenure there. But I didn't understand that one at all. A lot of people were going after him, too, for not going for it on fourth and one. That one, I, that one I, I didn't think was a bad I didn't either. I didn't think that either. But, like, then again, I, yesterday I was at the, the Browns-Chargers game, and Staley, the head coach of the Chargers, just like, we're going for it on every fourth down. And they converted, I think, five out of five, and it was pretty much the reason they won. So now maybe I need to change my tune because the Chargers converted on a fourth and two on their own 23. If they don't convert there, it's pretty much the game because they're down two scores at a time. If Virginia Tech converts that like Notre Dame's in a world of pain but given how the offense moved the ball and their lack of success in between the tackles I actually stand with uh, Fuente there I I would have been so happy if they had gone for it in that situation to be honest but there were some questionable coaching decisions all around that's it for uh, the negative now now we get to who's drinking free a lot of options to pick from on both sides uh, Ashton you can go first um, I'm taking Kyron Williams I felt very bad for him the first really five games of this season. He had a lot of Heisman hype coming in. Um, He's had just brutal offensive line play that has torpedoed that. I mean, I think coming into the season, you'd be hard pressed to find a list from anyone that listed the top five running backs in the country. And his name was not on the list. Now he's largely just fallen off the face of the earth. Um, But he looked pretty good Saturday night. I don't think the stat line was not absurd. He had a hundred all purpose yards or 74 on the ground and 26 through the air. And he only averaged 3.9 yards per carry. So that does not jump off the page. Um, but that being said, I went back and watched some of his highlights. And there are multiple runs where he was immediately hit, um, kind of looked like a one-yard gain type of situation. And he somehow gets four or five because he's just dragging defenders that are double his size to get a couple of extra yards, which I'm not thrilled with a four yard run, but the effort, um, I really, I really like the effort from him. And then his, he had had the two touchdowns, one on the ground, one through the air, the touchdown run broke three tackles. The third tackle that he broke the, uh, the defender literally had like both of his arms fully wrapped around Kyron's ankles. He's like hopping, trying to get away, gets free dives into the end zone. So I think that, just the fact that he clearly has not given up. Um, and again, I know we've said the offensive line played a lot better, so that certainly helps him. That is not 100% him um, in terms of the turnaround, but I'm very pleased with him and I I, I love him. He's awesome. <laughs> I want to jump in there real quick. Do you think his draft stock is being seriously hurt? Because I feel like I'm still seeing him no. pretty high on draft boards and I, I still feel like very confident this is his last season at Notre Dame. Maybe that's just me, though. I, I don't oh, know. I agree. Yeah. I think NFL teams know how bad that offensive line is, and he, like, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's not like, you know, running backs are super high draft picks these days anyways. Um, I think he's going to be just fine. Yeah. No, I think that he'll be fine on that front. I just feel bad because I, he obviously he was not a shoe-in to win the Heisman, but I think that that was super exciting and to have a Notre Dame running back in that conversation, and now it's just not happening. That's where I feel bad for him, but yes. <laughs> I agree. And you could tell his post-game com- or comments were pretty telling. He was like, man, I'm so excited for this bye week, one week without football. It's probably because he literally has been hit 
like he has the most yards after contact, I think, of any back in college football this year. Or he has like I'm messing up the stat, but basically him and Tyree were like dead last in terms of like yards before contact this year because they just get crushed every play. So I think he could probably use a little bit of a break. Did we get any information? I know Chris Tyree, they said turf toe, but are we expecting him to be out for a long period of time? I didn't hear anything beyond that. Well, at least Logan Diggs is back and available now, and he looked pretty damn good. Going back to your youth movement comment earlier, Luke, like yeah. he might have been the most impressive of the true freshmen that we were seeing for the first time. Yeah, and I don't know if like Sebo Flemister is actually available because has he taken a snap yet this season in the two games he's been available? I don't think so. I thought he took a couple the last game, but maybe I'm wrong. I could be. Totally I so I thought he did, but then I checked the snap counts and he wasn't listed, so I don't know. Okay. Maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. I'm cool with Diggs getting more touches. He looks. No, I agree. I mean, as far as for who I think is drinking free, I think it's Brian Kelly because first, if his body language (laughs) and quotes in his post game presser or any indication, he needs a drink or seven. Like the one quote that you brought up, Woj, about Jack Cohn, I thought that was most telling. Like the whole like, but you'll find negative things to write about this game, and that's why I don't really care. It sounded like a Mike Bray, I've given up on life sort of quote. Like That's something Bray would say. And then I said that to my mother when I sent her that. She suggested that Kelly's been spending too much time with Bray at the backer. So I, I don't know. Um, he needs a Mai Tai or two this bye week because his facial expressions and everything he was saying, he just looks like he's having a miserable time. And I know he says he's loving coaching this team, but – it's hard to blame him. I mean, it's just it's been a lot harder than it needs to be. And, and we're talking about a five and one team. Yeah, does he like does he really love coaching this team? I think that I might know. just be part of the the press conference stuff that he's been trying to put on all year, where he's basically like trying to convince himself that he likes coaching this team. Because if you look at him and like how he's aged through the years from when he started at Notre Dame in 2010 and now in 2021, he's actually aged pretty well. I think he's going to age like. 10 years in this season alone. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like at this point, he's probably, I know I'm sure he'll have to do some recruiting and stuff during the bye, but he's probably the happiest of all that he doesn't have to go through another Saturday, um, another roller coaster like we've seen. But speaking of roller coasters, the John Doerr experience, as we've dubbed it, was on full display Saturday night going into the season. Luke, you gave him the Brothers Bar and Grill Award for the player who will frustrate you, frustrate the hell out of you, really, uh, but deliver when you need, and Dor was able to deliver yet again. We actually joked that we feel way more comfortable from him kicking mm-hmm. from, like, 45 yards out, elements, everything going against him, and that's exactly what happened. Like, this time, he had a chance to win the game from 48 yards out, on the road, hostile environment, game on the line. Apparently, there's a laser being directed at him, uh, from the crowd, which I thought was kind of strange that like Kelly was icing him for a little bit. And then he was just like, honestly, dude, like, let's just kick this ball. Uh, and none of it mattered because he was nails again um, against USC. He'll probably shank a 32 yard field goal on a crystal clear night. But whatever. Um, <laughs> today, we get to experience the highs of the John Doerr experience. And that makes two game winning field goals on the season. And I really... I wouldn't be surprised if we need maybe one or two more from him uh, in the last half of the season. I had no doubt he was going to make that kick. Like I've actually, that was the most confident I was. I think I agree. Yeah, he's, he's drilling this. I agree. Yeah. No, if it was like a 22 yarder, I'd be like, we're done. This game is over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I did have a little heart attack because it, it was going a little right. Yes, and then it just it was. stopped. 
Yeah. I, I was just so drained at, at the end of that game. I didn't really know. I, and then, it, of course, the defense comes out, and I'm like, they can't blow this, right? Like, there's not enough time. Burmeister can't even move. But. At the very end? Uh, there were like yeah. 17 seconds Thank God left. For and I was like, 17 seconds is too many seconds. We're done. This is not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> it was so irrational, but I don't care. Luke, you, you said it. I want just like an easy Notre Dame win. I don't even count the Wisconsin win as easy because no. they're losing in no. the fourth quarter. No. Is there an easy win on the schedule? Yeah, I don't know. Navy? But we always suck against I, Navy. Well, I was going to say, three weeks ago I would have said Navy because Navy was awful. They were like 0-4 to start the season. Now they look like not good, but like they look better. And I'm like, all right, well, there goes that. <laughs> there goes that fun Saturday. Yeah. Maybe Georgia Tech, although they're kind of weird. Sometimes they show yeah. up. Sometimes they're awful. I don't – I mean, I, I think the same is true of the next two opponents. Like, they both looked pretty awful at moments, but they have the potential, I think, to, like, kind of make it a game. So, yeah, probably not. Uh, that's my short answer. <laughs> I actually saw a headline before we started doing this from Inside Troy, uh, this writer for USC. Headline, call the corner. USC football is dead. <laughs> and – after a loss to Utah, I think it's the first time they lost to Utah at home since early. I mean, 1990s. they didn't just lose; they got they got waxed. They lost by like twenty four. So sure enough, like if this if the recent history has been any indication, they'll you know figure it out, and we'll watch Jackson Dart come out ready to go and like throw it for three fifty against Notre Dame, and we're going down to the wire again here in two weeks. But uh, that's all I got. You guys got any final thoughts? No, no, I'm very content to. Uh not play Virginia Tech until 2027 for several <laughs> reasons. So we're, we're, I'm free. I'm free from the chains of my family harassment for at least six years. You have bragging rights on the family now for six years. That's got to be I do. Cool. I try, I try not to be a uh, TB two in their face because I know I'm going to eat it later, but uh, I, uh, and then basketball season, I'm sure I'll eat it again. So <laughs> it'll last for uh two months until they lose 80 to 40 at home. And Mike Bray um, just goes out after and doesn't care. And we don't fire him because he's best friends with Swarbrick. But that's enough on that topic. <laughs> I think that's a good place to end. Um, all right. That's a wrap for this episode of Sunday Saturday Irish. Uh, Notre Dame is on a bye this week. So we'll be back next Tuesday to preview the game against rival and recently deceased USC. Uh, in the meantime, give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Sons of Sat Irish, and please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. For Ash and Luke and myself, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you on Tuesday. Bye.